I'm Emily Dilling, and this is the Peri Paysan Podcast. Today we're going to visit Marche Cour de Vincennes with a local chef, celebrate the second birthday of a Paris beer shop, and talk about seasonal baking with an expert on the subject. So let's head to the market. Lise Cavan is a Paris-based chef and more recently the co-founder of the Paris chapter of the Open Food Network. Lise has worked in local restaurants including Estrance and Holy Belly. She's also an awesome person to visit a market with, which I learned as we explored Marché Cour de Vincennes together. Lise, thank you so much for visiting the Marché Cour de Vincennes with me. It was super fun and educational and I, I don't even know where to start, so I don't know if maybe you want to just share with us some of your first impressions of the market or um, any of the takeaways from, from that little tour we just did. Yes, of course. So I think right now the most interesting things to look at are the summer fruit and vegetables because those are in peak season. So we saw some really amazing tomatoes. The tomatoes right now are exquisite. Lots of different types of heirloom tomatoes. There are a few actually that I've never even seen before um, that I came across just this summer. They're slightly longer, a little bit like Roma tomatoes, but then they've got kind of a zebra green print on them. Um, Really amazing. And I had them the other day, very sweet and uh, voluptuous. Um, let's see, the cherries are amazing, the apricots are in full season right now, uh, other stone fruits are just coming into season, so peaches and nectarines, so that's really exciting to see and it smells so good. Um, we had some really great uh, interactions with the farmers, there was this one guy who was selling homemade jam um, and he had green tomato jam and um, I've got peche de vigne, so little tiny peaches. Uh, and then he also had some really amazing spring honey, um, and that guy's at the Marché de Bastille as well on Sundays. Um, so I'm definitely going to go visit him again. Um, let's see, we also had a really cool interaction with uh, a salad guy, and we picked up a new variety of salad that I had never really seen before called Fécuit uh, Glacé. And that's really interesting, very like iodine taste, very uh, metallic, salty. Um, very close to seaweed, so that was cool. Um, yeah, so lots of new discoveries and uh, lots of joy seeing new things in season, too. Yeah, it's so fun to see um, just the berries everywhere, cherries, uh, cassis, strawberries. That's really fun. And another stop that we made, um, which I was, was personally enriching for me, was talking about how to buy fresh fish at the market, which is something I'm very hesitant to do because I just don't know how to. So I don't know if you mind maybe kind of going over some of the points that you brought up when we were talking about that earlier? Mm, absolutely. So a lot of people are intimidated by, uh, by fish and picking, buying fish, how to pick fish. Um, but actually what we really just want to focus on is freshness, of course. So when we're looking at, uh, at a fish counter, um, you can immediately start to uh, make decisions yourself. You don't have to look to your fishmonger. You can definitely have that power yourself. So you want to start to look for the eyes. The eyes need to be really clear. Um, They should not have any type of cataracts on them, kind of a shadow, and they shouldn't be bloody at all. If they're bloody, it means that they were slightly mistreated during their fishing or during their packaging processes, and you want to avoid those fish. So we're going to talk about visual signs first, and then we'll talk a little bit about size. Um, So visual signs, the eyes, the uh, body should be still completely intact. It shouldn't be too... um, Uh, It shouldn't start to get uh, puffed up, it shouldn't start to collapse on itself, it should still maintain its shape. Um, 
if it has that beautiful wet uh, uh, kind of people would call that slimy layer on it it's it's a good sign yeah it's sheen <laughs> um, it's a good sign because it means that it still has its protective layer on it so this is a really uh, positive thing it means that it's been fished quite recently also you want to look for the gills um, if you can see if the gills are still quite uh, a vibrant red color this is a very positive sign because it means that it's still um, with it's still uh, got a lot of oxygen in the in its blood system so that's really uh, a good sign and then what else okay so let's talk about size um, you want to try to go for smaller fish because smaller fish are going to be um, are going to have shorter lifespans and this means that because they have shorter lifespans they haven't been swimming in the ocean for very long which in turn means that they do not have a very high mercury level so when you're looking for uh, fish like tuna and salmon I understand that these are really popular fish, however, they're not the best fish for you. Um, I understand that it's also a very um, lovely taste, but we can achieve this taste with other types of fish too. Um, mackerel and trout are really good options to go for um, that are of the smaller variety. You also really want to make sure that they are wild caught or that they are um, uh, fished on the line so that you know that they're not being farmed because farmed fish unfortunately are swimming in their own fecal matter for a long period of time throughout their entire lives so you can imagine what that does to their flesh and then in turn their flesh is uh, gray color and then it's injected with dye to make it pink again especially for salmon so if you're going to go for salmon uh, look for wild caught salmon um, and then tuna, you can find some skip deck tuna. Skip deck tuna would be a good option too. Um, and you can get those uh, fished on the line as well. Cool, great. Um, that's a wealth of information. And also um, earlier on you brought up a point, which I think is um, important to note, um, is that with that information you can be empowered at the market because I think sometimes it's not a hard sell, but sometimes the vendors can kind of get involved and tell you what you want. And it's really important to be able to look and see what you want before having someone kind of sell you something that you're not sure of the quality of the product. So that's a really useful tool. Um, and so I know not only are you a chef, but I, you're also really interested in, in giving people access to good quality food. And I think you're working on a project now that's kind of more related to your food activism side. Do, can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yeah, so food activism rather than uh, culinary activism. <laughs> um, so right now I'm working on a new project called the Open Food Network, uh, which is a really, really amazing project. This just started in Australia, in Melbourne, um, started by two women, um, Kirsten and Serenity, two fantastic uh, entrepreneurial women. And they've created an open source website where farmers and uh, consumers can come and uh, unite <laughs> and we can get farm fresh goods without any inter intermediaries directly to um, your home. So this is a very exciting thing because if you think about the food process right now, your food, if you buy it at a supermarket, probably passes through mm, uh, four to five intermediaries um, and you don't even know how many hands that's passed through. Um, when I say intermediary, I'm talking about somebody who is bringing the goods from the farm to the uh, the selling place um, and even when you go on markets like this uh, the majority of the the vendors are also people who would be who we would consider to be an intermediary um, 
if they're not the farmer coming directly themselves. So what we're focusing on is getting farm fresh goods to you directly. Uh, yes, in a sense, we're acting as the intermediary as the uh, as the website, and we'll have to put uh, delivery systems in place um, if you would like things delivered to your home. But it's a very very uh, empowering. Uh, website so that will be coming up soon um, and I'll give you guys more information about that um, but yeah something I really want to make a point on is that knowledge is power and you can certainly um, find information about your food everywhere it's everywhere it's up to you to educate yourself how much you want to know I know that for some people it can be quite intimidating and scary to think about where your food comes from but really you should know if you're eating it if you're putting it in your body you should know where it comes from uh, and from there then you get to make the choices yeah totally those are those are wise words from Lise um, and so and I'll put up um, information on your various projects and um, where to find you online and follow you on Instagram too which is a lovely uh, adventure through gastronomic Paris so I'll put those up on the website and thank you so much for for talking with me today thank you check out the blog for links to the open food network in order to find out more about Lise's exciting new project you can also visit the Paris Paysan website to find out more information about Marché Cour de Vincennes and many other Paris markets. While there, find out where to find farmers at local markets by looking at my map, which includes information on over 20 Paris markets. Two years ago, Jacqueline Gidel and her husband Pierre opened Bureaucratie, a cheery beer shop in the 13th arrondissement. Along with Shop Cat Magritte, Jacqueline and Pierre bring interesting international beers to thirsty craft beer lovers in Paris. I met up with Jacqueline at her shop to talk about the past two years and what the future holds. So, happy birthday, Bureaucratie. Thank you. We're super excited. Two years. Yeah, two years. That's awesome. So, yeah. So, my first um, question is, what were you guys thinking two years ago? How did this happen? Um, two years ago, we were really thinking that... Um, Wow, what were we thinking? <laughs> you guys were already in Paris? or We were already in Paris, and both of us decided that we were fed up with our jobs, we wanted to do something else, um, and we wanted to do something together. So basically, the common solution was beer, because it's uh, something that we both share in common, our passion about beer. And um, with the Blossoming Craft movement, we decided that it would be really the right time to go ahead and do a shop like this and to be able to share everything that's going on right now with the, the community. That's so cool. It was, it's great timing, I think. And um, did you did you kind of know some of the, the brewers and things that were going on when you started? Or was it really just like, this is what we want to do together and then everything else was kind of discovering along the way? Um, we had the idea for about a year before we opened, so we had some time to go ahead and check out some Salon de Bière, um, beer festivals, talk with brewers, and try and make some connections before we started so that we could really get a sense of the community and also the people and know a bit more about what we were doing. Cool. And also, we were talking earlier about how you guys also spend your time off doing beer stuff too so it really is like a full full-time passion um and you've traveled around in different regions in France and I don't know do you have some has there been some interesting things you've learned about the beer scene all around the country or or maybe even regions that you've visited that you've found kind of have a, a vibrant beer scene as well I feel like that's an interesting question because at the same time it's not we see that beer is not about terroir that's what's happening. And it's really about 
it is about sharing information and doing other things, but we see that old styles have really gone out and there's a sort of like group movement of all regions really doing exciting things and different things, but not really in their own little space. So it's more like people using hops or malts that are coming from from around the world instead of fix it, like settling on their sort of local cereals and things? Yes, I feel like um, the styles are becoming more international anyway. Um, but on the flip side, what we're seeing now with the craft movement is there is some local things that are happening. Um, people trying to grow hops and um, small maltaries that are popping up um, in town um, and a couple other places as well, which is great because um, there's only like three or four big maltaries that most breweries are getting their malts from. That's awesome. Yeah, and especially for a young scene, it's exciting to see that there are these things that are kind of popping up within just a few years of this sort of reignited interest in, in craft beer. Yeah, no, it's definitely exciting. Um, I think that this sort of these smaller things that we're seeing are the secondary effects also of this sort of craft movement because these are often people who are um, also in a in a sort of change of lifestyle situation. So it's passion, um, creativity, and also a lot of people who are into organic and local things. I think that we're seeing a lot of it. So that's cool, and, and I love the um, sort of DIY aspect where you can really quite easily um, well fairly easily begin to kind of mess around brewing on your own, which is something that you and Pierre have started doing. So where did that idea come from and, and how do you, is it kind of exciting to be able to um, to get involved in making beer? Um, for us, it's super exciting. It's really great because um, it'd be sort of like for a long time you sold bread, but you had no idea how to make it or it just doesn't make sense when you don't know the whole of the the product that you're involved in it's really lot um now we can we can see from you know beginning to end how beer is made how difficult it is it gives you know you have more respect for just the beer in and of itself and also when you taste it you can sort of have an idea of what happened already behind there it's really amazing has that has that changed the way because it sounds like before you guys were and still are like beer lovers and beer tasters and that was sort of your entry was tasting a lot of beer so now that you're beer makers do you do you taste differently um I think you taste a little bit differently because you're a little bit more sensitive to to certain flavors that you might have looked over before um, like, oh, I think that this was this yeast, or are these these hops that are in there? What kind of malt do you think they used? And it, it just, you can pick out things a little bit differently, and even sort of, even small problems or something, you'd be like, oh, I wonder if that was a little oxidized, or you can sort of understand what happened um, in the whole thing, which is different, yeah. Um, and so we ran into each other at Le Toilet the other day, and you told me about your first craft brew project, which is super ambitious. Um, and it's the it's a seasoned beer using some specialty ingredients. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this idea? Uh, sure. Um, actually, yeah. So actually, we're on our fourth brew now, and we decided to do something a little bit silly. Um, we had the idea of a Saison and Garfunkel. And, you know, as in the song... Um, Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. So we made up a batch of saison beer. Um, we cut it in four, and four separate little fermenters. And then we went ahead and you know dosed the herbs and did some hop pairings. Um, we bottled it recently, and we'll be waiting a a week or so there to to see how it comes out. Um, already feeling that we might have overdosed on the the herby part of it, but uh, you know it's an adventure. 
So, so that was your fourth batch of beer that you guys done. And have you been doing it at home, or do you have a space that you brew? Um, actually, when we're closed on Sunday, we brew in the shop. That's awesome. That's so cool. And yeah, for anyone who's listening, it's so great. You've got your shop and you live upstairs. So you can kind of combine that space in a way that's super convenient. But the shop is like, it's a, it's a great size, but it's not huge. And it's amazing to see um, what you can do in a small space. I think I was really surprised about that. And it was one of the things um, to begin with that we were worried about. I think most people who are interested in homebrewing feel like maybe they won't be able to have enough space. But the truth is, really, you can make it work out. You need a water source and you need a little bit of space. Even a kitchen size would be okay. We do it in the shop because we like to spread out a little bit. But it's really, we could do everything in our own in our own little apartment if we had to. Yeah, and so what's next for you in the next two years? Or do you have any exciting things coming up? Um, I know that you maybe have some collaborations with some local bars going on. Oh, sure. We're um, excited. Um, well, for our birthday, we made a special brew with um, Crazy Hops Brewery with Jerome and Gunther. And it, so there's a happy black season coming out for our birthday. Very exciting. Um, we're having a special vegetarian night and beer pairing with the triangle coming up soon. Um, and then when we get back at the end of the summer, we're going to do something special with the super coin. So I'll put um, a link up to the site on the on the blog and also the link to where to find you in the shop because it's exciting. We were just chatting and Thierry from Gutdar came in with a delivery of delicious looking things so there's always something new to discover and yeah and thank you so much for telling us all about that thank you <laughs> check out perrypaysen.com for links to bureaucracy and be sure to stop by to visit Jacqueline Pierre and Magritte next time you're in the mood for a good beer I'm lucky to have Melanie Vaz as a friend and it's not just because she makes fabulous cakes like the daffodil sparkle unicorn cake she made for my birthday that was pretty amazing Mel is the founder of Gateau Mama, where she proposes American-style cakes for French tastes. Mel and I got together to talk about seasonal baking and adapting recipes to the French audience. So I'm with Melanie of Gateau Mama. Thank you so much for talking to me today. And um, one thing that I really love about your baked goods and cakes is that in summer, you really kill it with awesome, like, refreshing cakes. Like, you incorporate a lot of elements that are, like, citrus like lemon or I remember you were really going through like a lemon rosemary kind of phase last year when we were kind of testing some recipes together do you have any thoughts on seasonal baking and is there anything you kind of like tend to do when the weather gets a little bit warmer well during the warmer uh during warmer weather I try to think of flavors that we like to you know that we like to taste during the summer so for me lemon screams summer so i try to uh use a lot of lemon in my cooking it does it might get repetitive but people are all people want it there is a demand for that so the lemon rosemary cake that you um that you're talking about is still a really big hit this summer um not as big as it was last summer everybody really liked it this summer it seems to be the carrot cardamom cake so but it's a carrot cardamom cake with a lemon ginger glaze and what people like about that is that it's a little, it's comfort foody, but you still, with the tang of the lemon, it just gives you a really, it's very exotic. It's very, people, it has that Indian feel. Um, but no, when I, when I start thinking about my cakes and what I think about, you know, things to offer to my clients, 
I take the seasons into account and I try to bring something new and something different. So I like working with a lot of herbs. I like working um, with, um, I'm starting to work a little bit more with edible flowers. Um, so for example, um, I have a vanilla lavender cookie. I love that combination of vanilla lavender. It's kind of homey, but yet with a little, you know, touch of Provence. Um, lots of lemon, but lemon with different herbs. So lemon with rosemary, lemon with thyme. Um, and soon, uh, as soon as I get a little moment, I'm going to start working on a new recipe, um, integrating elderflower into my cakes. So, um, you know, elderflower with strawberries and also pairing elderflower with a couple of other berries. And I think that that'll sort of round out my summer menus, but it's, it's, it's fun and exciting. And then I'm also thinking towards autumn coming up very soon and tastes of autumn. So I'll start bringing more warmer spices and moving away from the herbs and more into the spices. That's really cool. Actually, I hadn't thought about it because I think of you as doing so much like American style banking. And I think I definitely think of your product, like of your baked goods as comfort food. But it's true that you totally have brought in this sort of element of this French influence, I think, like with lavender and things like that. And I wonder if your style of baking or choices that you make now have kind of changed since you've been living in France for 10 years? Mm -hmm. I think my, I think my style has evolved. I, I still remain true to baking, you know, baking cakes and baking cookies that remind you of home. So, um, I, 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 I do keep that in mind. Now, when I, you know, before when I started out baking and, it, you know, because I started baking as a form of therapy, I just basically tried every recipe in the book and the ones that I like, I kept and the ones that I didn't, I just, you know, I did it once and that was it. But then eventually I started working the recipes and really trying to make these recipes my own. So I would alter certain things here and there. And it wasn't until I got to France that I really started messing around with recipes and tweaking them in such ways that, you know, it taking an American recipe, for example, as a, as a basis, I will, um, what I'll do is I'll lessen the sugar right away just because a lot of, you know, my French customers don't like very sweet cakes. So, and especially if I'm going to put a frosting in it, I tend to lower the sugar. Um, so that's one of the things I do right off the bat. But another thing that I like to do is think about how do I take something that I've done all the time, like brownies, for example, I'm known for my brownies and I have the same, you know, brownie recipe that I've tweaked and tweaked over and over and over again. And every time I try to think about, okay, what can I do to make it better? How can I change this? So I do variations now. And I think you could start doing that when you become familiar with a, uh, a cake recipe, like for example, the lemon rosemary cake that I'll do will somehow evolve next year. How, I don't know yet. I, I constantly look for inspiration, but I'm more, my style is more, oh, I, I, how would I describe my style? Can I try to describe your style? Yeah. I feel like your style is methodical perfection. Like one thing I just have so much respect for you about is how, how 
like your attention to detail and how you're always I mean I think of you as a chemist in a way too like the way that you like are always looking at how things are reacting with each other and I don't know and I just see like you obviously have a passion for the the finished product but I feel like you're really passionate about the process too I don't know if that's how I see you or no I actually love the process I love I love taking a recipe I love looking at the recipe when I when I try to find new recipes for cakes, I usually look at five, six, seven different sources. I print out all the recipes. I look at all of them and I read the recipes and read each of them and see, okay, how are they similar? How are they different? And what can I take from here? What can I take from there? And then what can I do to put my own spin on it? And I like, you know, testing the recipes and then writing the notes down, noting, okay, well, this is what I'm going to change the next time. And this is what I'm going to do. And I think that's, that's wonderful. I, th- I love that process. And I love then seeing the finished product and tasting it. And I have, you know, several people that have tasted all of my goods. And I love when they, I actually encourage feedback from all of my customers, because for me, it's, it's part of that process. It's in, it makes it interactive and it makes, it makes me, come up with a better product in the end. So no, I think you're right in that. It, it, I'm very, I love that part of the process because I think it's a great, um, it's a great way to work. Um, and so also I know that um, you do a lot of baking or one of your kind of more steady gigs with baking is um, is providing baked goods for, for picnics. And I was wondering if you have any ideas about like, what are some good things to bring for a summer picnic if you're going to bake? I know a lot of people maybe shy away from being in a hot kitchen during a heat wave, but um, I think everyone likes to have something sweet at the end of a picnic. So do you have some ideas for nice warm weather baked goods to bring along? Brownies are easy because brownies from start to finish take you 40 minutes and it's 20 minutes of baking time, you know, and at the end of it. So the I, I would say brownies are always a big hit. Um, again, if you're not a baker, then I say cookies work great because cookies, you can make the dough way in advance and you just freeze your dough or, you know, you refrigerate it and then you just cut out what you need, you know, or drop, you know, do little drop cookies. And in the end, to be honest, one of my favorite desserts for, um, for picnics requires no baking at all. I like strawberries that you chop up put a little bit of balsamic vinegar. I find um, you could use the regular uh, balsamic vinegar of Modena and that'll give you a nice little tart, strawberry tartness. But you can also use the white balsamic, which tends to be a little sweeter. You st- It's not as vinegary, but you have that tartness. And with some fresh whipped cream, vanilla whipped cream, getting the vanilla from a fresh, you know, vanilla pod. And that for me is summer. That's a beautiful summer dessert and it's no fuss. And you can also, I just actually thought about this with your discussion with, um, with Forrest the other day, how would it work with shrubs? You know, so creating a different, um, you know, different, like maybe a blueberry shrub, like the one that we did, um, a few months back. But I think that would be, I think that would be a really great combination and to try different shrubs with different berries. And of course, you know, it's all about experimenting so why not try these different things but uh, but you know just to go back to your question in the end the best summer desserts are the fresh fruits and for me it's especially berries 
for sure. Um, having said that, your brownies are amazing. And if someone is lucky enough to live in Paris and wants to maybe try your brownies, or is there like a way that we can have access to um, tasting the amazing things that you make in your kitchen? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, people can go to my website, uh, gatomama.com, and you can see pictures of my cakes and you know other things that I've baked. And if you want to place an order, feel free to um, contact me directly. In the next uh, couple of weeks, I'll be working on adding a new page um, for people who want to order my cakes. And it, hopefully in the next few months, I'll be launching a um, subscri- uh, subscription cake service so that you know people who want to have my baked goods in their house say like banana bread zucchini bread or something like that um they can get that delivered to their house or they can come pick it up um once or twice a month and also your instagram feed ghetto mama is great it's just like gorgeous to see all of the different things you're working on and i'll put those links up on the website and um thanks so much for talking to me today well thank you so much for speaking with me glad to share visit gatomama.com to find out how to order fresh homemade baked goods while there, be sure to check out the amazing gallery. You won't want to miss the photos of kids' cakes. I have four words for you. Volcano, lava, dinosaur cake. It's pretty awesome. I'll put the link up on my blog. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Perry Paysan podcast. Thanks to Lise, Jacqueline, and Melanie for taking the time to talk with me. Thanks to Ben Nero for the podcast theme music. And thanks to you for listening. If you haven't visited perifazan.com yet, or if it's been a while, go check it out. The site recently got a little facelift, and now it's super easy to find out more information about my upcoming book, My Paris Market Cookbook, out on September 1st. You might want to pre-order a copy if you're interested in learning more about markets like Marché Cour de Vincennes, beer shops like Bureaucratie, or if you want awesome summer recipes for blueberry shrubs or lemon zest madeleines. Thanks so much for listening and tune in next time to the Perry Paysan podcast.